moving where? Everwood, Colorado. everyone, Angela Bowen here, the host of I Left My Heart in Everwood, an Everwood podcast. Well, today I'm going to be covering Season 1, Episode 6, entitled The Doctor is In. This episode aired on October 21st, 2002. In this episode, Amy is heartbroken and Ephraim is furious when Andy decides against performing a risky operation on Amy's comatose boyfriend. Meanwhile, Delia is forbidden from playing with her only friend, Magilla, after his parents discover them playing dress-up. And a traveling psychologist, Dr. Trot, creates quite a stir in the Everwood community. This episode has a 7.5 out of 10 rating based on 73 ratings. Guest starring, we have Nancy Everard playing Sharon Hart, Collins' mother, and Michael Flynn playing James Hart, Collins' father. We also have a familiar face, Jane Krakowski playing Dr. Gretchen Trott. This episode was directed by Stephen Gyllenhaal. Excuse me, Gyllenhaal. He is the fa- Oh my god! I thought, maybe, he's the father of Maggie and Jake Gyllenhaal. Ho, ho, ho! That is wild. So now we can say, yes, this episode was directed by the father of Jake and Maggie Gyllenhaal. Of course, writers Greg Berlanti, the creator, and written by Vanessa Taylor. All right, of course, before I get into the podcast, I want to let you know if you're a Everwood newbie. Thank you for joining along. If you want to know where to listen to the podcast, iTunes, SoundCloud, Podbean, look under Looking Back on My Wonder Years or Wonder Years, Facebook, I cannot talk to save my life. Looking Back on My Wonder Years, a Wonder Years podcast is where you're going to be able to find the Everwood podcast. As I said, I'm currently on episode six. Last episode I covered in April was Dear God. So, pretty much season one is going to be, the the Browns have already settled into Colorado as best they have right now, but the bulk of season one is going to be Colin's surgery, his recovery, and everything, you know, him readjusting to what's supposed to be familiar around him, you know, his best friend Bright, his sister Lanny, which we will meet later, and of course, Amy and Colin's relationship. And of course, if you've seen Everboot before, you know the fallout from season one, what happens, so. Also, if you want to follow along with the podcast, you can do so at Facebook, I left my heart in Everwood and Everwood Podcast Facebook page or looking back at my Wonder Year, excuse me, LBOM Wonder Years Podcast on Instagram. Uh, it also has a Twitter, a, uh, Everwood Podcast. All right, without further ado, let's jump into this episode. Like, it's been years since I watched the show, so a lot, some of the stuff is new to me. I really only caught season one and two, and then I kind of. And season three, but season four, I dipped in and out of, I think even season three, I dipped in and out of quite a bit. So once I eventually get to those seasons, it's going to be like new territory for me. All right, let's, let's do this. Let's get into the doctor is in. 
All right, of course, we have the cold open before we officially really get into the episode. And, of course, always we begin with Irv Harper's narration, which is actually from his book that he's been writing this whole time that we don't find out until much later. And he quotes, Everyone has a touchstone, a last line of defense against the mayhem mayhem and sorrow of this world. Some people in Everwood, that person is Dr. Gretchen Trot. She's got an RV. Oh my gosh, this thing looks so awesome. Of course, Dr. Gretchen is creating quite a stir as she arrives to town and traffic is already backed up. Harold, of course, is irritated because looks like He's not getting his parking space, as Andy actually pulls in right alongside Harold. The whole time this scene has been playing, it's playing the song Mr. Big Stuff. People are already lining up outside her RV, and Andy, of course, new to Everwood, and Dr. Trot probably making her yearly drive into Everwood. He's like, what is that thing, a blood van? Harold isn't answering him. He's like, uh, ice cream truck, a uh, bookmobile, <laughs> like... Come on. It's a shrink mobile. Oh my goodness. Irv, of course, lets us know that not all Everwoodies worship at the shrine of this mobile. As Harold and Annie kind of make their way through the crowd, they're all waiting for an appointment with this shrink mobile. So Andy can't believe, like, wow, Everd- Everwood has its own psych- psychiatrist. And. Harold corrects him, saying, oh, it's a psychologist with a master's in social work. So he pretty much reminds Gretchen, Harold does, that that her last visit, say, probably around Easter, he told her she needs to close up shop and find a different place to park her shrink mobile to see patients. Because she's pretty much, I think, got it parked right in front of his office. Like, ugh. I love how she is not at all. She sounds, she she shows no signs of being irritated or aggravated by Harold wanting his parking space back. She's like, well, while the signage is here, then I'm going to continue to see my patients here. And he's like, did you hear a word I just said? And she says, yes, I heard you use t- territorialism to establish superiority. She says, while I can respect a narcissism impulse, I'm under no objection to cater to it. Good call. She ain't gonna bow to your whims, Harold. So Andy, of course, gets in there to introduce himself. Like, hi, I'm Andy Brown. And she's like, the Andy Brown? Of course, she's most likely read up on him being such a world-renowned surgeon. And she's actually a big fan. So she's talking about his 97 article that he read on mental disorders and the difference between um, that and organic ones, I guess. And I just love Harold just hanging they're just, like, adding commentary, like, oh my gosh, really? Uh. So clearly Abbott is in this boat by himself of, no, we need to remove Dr. Gretchen Trout from the area. So she, of course, goes back into her RV to prepare for her patients. And Annie's like, I like her. And Harold's just like, you would. <laughs> and Harold's like, who would take this quack's insight seriously? Move out of the way. Brenda is like, oh, hope I'm not too late. 
Case in point there, yeah. <laughs> yeah, Harold, you are not going to find a supporter in Andy. He's already smitten with this lady and with Gretchen, and Gretchen clearly is taken with Andy. Yeah. I can see where this is going to head. And then, everybody, was the cold open. All right, we come out of the cold open, and we are headed to Everwood High with... Amy and Ephraim, looks like they're painting a backdrop for a school play. Oh, I'm guessing he's going to play piano for the... Okay. But now he's partaking in doing a little painting in, for uh, sets and stuff. So, looks like what this is, it's a high school ballet depicting the changing of leaves, according to Ephraim. And Amy... Is like, see that rope over there? That is where people scramble to get the best seats. I've never seen middle-aged people run so fast. Oh, God. Well, it's everyone. they got to find their performing arts someplace. And apparently the place to be is the Performing Arts Center in Everwood High School. Those are such tall leaves. They're like four to five feet tall. But they're made of, like, wires and tissue paper. And painted like a rust red, kind of reddish orange color. The depiction of fall. So, of course, Amy says that in the play in the past. Her parents never brought her flowers, only Colin. Colin was the one who always remembered to bring her flowers. Aww. So, Ephraim makes a comment about how Amy keeps checking her watch. And she says that Colin's parents' appointment is almost over. So I'm guessing the appointment that they have with Dr. Brown to discuss whether or not he wants to do the surgery on Colin. So Ephraim reassures Amy, like, hey, don't worry, my dad's appointment's only last long enough for the person to sign on the dotted line. Pretty much like, don't worry about it, Colin's surgery's a done deal. I've never heard my dad say no to anybody before. I thought they only paid you to play piano. You doubt my school spirit? <laughs> Whatever, it's cool of you to help. See that red rope over there? That's where it all starts. Every year it's a mad dash to see who gets the best seats. Sorry, I think it was a Paul McCartney concert. Never seen middle-aged people run so fast. A high school ballet depicting the changing of the leaves. High point of the with social season. Why am I not surprised? <laughs> Flower Mart actually sold out last year. <laughs> All the girls get bouquets, roses mm -hmm. mostly. It's good to know. Except me, I mean. Well, I've never had a solo before, but Colin used to bring me flowers anyway. Not my parents or anybody, just Colin. <laughs> you just checked your watch five minutes ago. Colin's parents' appointment is almost over. Yeah, I wouldn't worry about it. My dad's appointments usually last just long enough for whoever he's talking at to sign on the dotted line. I swear I can't remember the last time someone said no when the great Dr. Brown offered his help. Gone surgery's a done deal. I watched this show about comas the other night on Science Channel. It showed people who came out after a long time, like six months or so. Most of them barely even looked human. I remember this one guy's face was frozen in the silent scream, like that painting. And most of their hands were all curled up like Jennifer Hockaday in special ed. You know, I don't mean this in a bad way, Amy, but <laughs> are you sure you want him back? I mean, especially if 
I, I just mean that it might be better for him if... I want him back. No matter what. So Amy's telling Ephraim, I don't think she's doing it herself any favors by watching this uh, documentary on comas and just saying how people, when they come out of them, especially like six months or so, just look barely human. And... Ephraim, he's still riding this Amy train hard. He even throws out there like, oh, are you sure, you know, you're going to want him back? Um, maybe it'd be better for him if... And she just looks at him dead on like, I want him back. In whatever way he's going to be. As in, that is 100%. Like, you're not changing this girl's mind, Ephraim. I know you really care about Amy and you want to be with her... She's going to continue to hold that torch for Colin. Now we're going to go to Andy and the Hart's appointment as he's kind of going over with them what Colin's doctor said and what Andy is. It's pretty much gotten from Colin's case and also stating facts about short-term coma patients and everything. As Dr. Latham and the Denver team have told you, the causes of short-term coma are generally discreet and identifiable, while the causes of prolonged coma can often be of empathic, of unknown origin. In Colin's case, the neuro team has carefully monitored his intracranial pressure and provided what I think is well above the standard of care. You can be confident that up to this point, you've done everything possible for your son, and... Up to this point? Well, having studied Colin's history and his films, I've come up with a theory. So you think you know something they don't? There is what we believe to be a small fragment of bone lodged in Colin's brain. More specifically, in the brain stem, where it would be extremely difficult to remove. Dr. Latham doesn't believe that the relationship between this fragment and your son's prolonged comatose state is causal. But you do. I do. And I believe I can surgically resect it without damaging the stem. You've done this before? Actually, no. The brainstem handles the most elemental tasks that the brain performs. <laughs> Were we to undertake this surgery successfully, it would be medically reportable. Meaning? Well, it would be an experiment of sorts. By that I mean that experimentation occurs all the time in medicine. It's how innovation takes place. It's how lives are saved. I want you to know I don't undertake this lightly. I've performed over 200 procedures a year in the last 15 years. And if I'm not mistaken, I have one of the highest success rates in the country. But what if you do damage the brainstem? That would threaten Colin's ability to walk, eat, breathe. And what if we don't do it? It's impossible to say. Colin may emerge from coma on his own. <laughs> but you don't think he will? <coughs> come on. Stop for us, Dr. Brown. We've run out of answers of our own. What do you think we should do? I can't tell you what to do. That's a choice you'll have to make together. What if it were your son? So, Andy thinks that maybe what is keeping Colin in a coma, uh, comatose state is a little fracture of bone that's stuck in his brainstem. 
And he feels like that even though this is go- he's never performed this type of surgery before, that this is going to be ex- um, a bit of an experiment, which he says that's how new discoveries are made and how we learn things. And it's really up to the hearts if this is how they want to proceed. Of course, Colin's mother is like, well, what happens if you do damage the brainstem? And he says, well, then Colin will have difficulty with walking, eating, breathing. There is a chance maybe Colin, without the surgery, will wake up on his own. But, of course, Colin's father is saying, well, you don't think that's actually possible. And, of course... This is the end of the road for the hearts. They've exhausted every other doctor possibility to help their son. And, of course, Andy tells him, I can't tell you what to do. And, of course, Colin's father, I knew he was going to play this card because it seems like this is the thing that people do when they want a straight answer from somebody. As in, put yourself in my position. What if it were your son? Would you do this? And we don't get Andy's answer. We cut to Mama Joy's. And Andy and Harold are having lunch, sitting at the counter. And (laughs) here... You'd think Andy would get tired of the food, but no. He just, he loves it. I guess he's been going down the menu and trying, like, probably everything on it. So I kind of wonder here if Andy is going to ask Harold his suggestion about how he would deal with this. If this were your son, would you want the uh, doctor to perform this very risky surgery? I mean, even though, I mean, it's it's patient doctor confidentiality with the case, but then again, if you bring in someone else's opinion, just to kind of see where they are on it, just to get some other, you know, some other opinions. Because think about it, when we go and we purchase products and stuff, one thing for me I very much look at is the rating, and I definitely go a lot by customer reviews. That really helps me having other, make an informed decision by having other minds, other opinions. Because you got people out there that have the product, they've used it, they're saying whether or not they like it or not. Sometimes a review could be something like, oh, someone's, angry something didn't work out so they're gonna lash out at the person that made the product or the product itself maybe they got a dud but that's kind of how I like to make informed decisions by getting other people's opinions on it is Nina in this episode I swear she wasn't I think she was just in like the very yeah she was in the very opening scene of the last episode with the deer um it's like where's uh where's Nina She's still recouping from having that baby? I don't know. And, of course, Harold broaches the subject because, you know, Dr. Trout, Dr. Trot, I'm sorry, is in there picking up a tuna melt. And Harold says, Dr. Brown, have you ever been to a psychiatrist? And Andy's like, no, I kind of thought I could figure problem things out on my own. And Andy's like, have you? And, of course, Harold just kind of scoffs at, like, no. I like how this guy, this server, Dwayne, 
It's like, oh, I accidentally made your sandwich with dill pickles and you asked for sweet. I could remake it. And of course, Dr. Trot, she's like, oh, no, 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 Dwayne. That's not necessary. Like, she is the sweetest lady. So this seems like a little bit of a therapy session with Dwayne, the the server here. He's like, oh, I always screw everything up. My mother was right. It's like, okay, Dwayne, why don't you come by my office, by my RV, and we can talk this out privately instead of in a room full of restaurant patrons. Harold, are you having a complex over there? (laughs) He cannot just let this go. He's got such a problem with her. I can see her saying, well, Harold, would you like to set up an appointment and we can discuss this further? I guess she comes more than once a year, like every few months, because Harold said, oh, you stopped by during Easter. And just the way that she thinks that, oh, she can fix everyone's problems, and then she leaves, and everyone's all reassured until they fall apart. And Harold's like, and then someone's got to pick up the pieces. Harold, you don't give a rat's crack about people's problems unless they're medical, like physical, not mentally. You want him, don't you? I'm sorry? You thrive on it. The insecurity, the doubt, the self-loathing. You come into town every few months, needlessly stir up neuroses like lawn mowing in the dust bowl. I don't create the feelings. I just give people a safe place to put them. You ride into town like the Joan of Arc of Gestalt. A week later, your patients are reassurance junkies begging for a fix, and you've ridden off into the sunset. Well, someone has to pick up the pieces. How does that make you feel, Harold? Do shrinks have that implanted on a chip somewhere? Memorize a few key phrases, buy a couch, you're Sigmund Freud? My God, oh, Harold, chill. You, and I'm glad you feel comfortable you ever me? actually say anything? For God's sake, get to the point. <laughs> Is it possible that in reality you thrive on it? That you derive satisfaction from, and I'm using your words, picking up the pieces? She got you there, guy. Some kind of parasitic, misery-loving egomaniac. Those are your terms, not mine. <laughs> yeah. Try to stay evidence-based, Harold. Don't be so hard on yourself. <laughs> Thanks for the sandwich, Dwayne. <laughs> you can go on, Harold. Can I have some? So I think uh, Dr. Trot has definitely hit the nail on the head with Harold. He just can't seem to see that. Like, I don't think he thrives on the misery of others, but I think that he definitely likes the idea of being the one to pick up the pieces. Like, in a way to make him feel good about himself. Or, I don't know. Uh, Of course, we now are at... McGill's McGilla's house and they're listening to a song which I don't even think it's a real song it's probably just for the show and Delia is sitting on the floor leaning back against the bed as McGilla is laying on the bed and it's like oh I bet you don't know what this song's about and McGilla's like oh yeah I do it's about sex it's like what do you know about sex like okay kids you're nine you don't need to be thinking or talking about sex <laughs> but you don't know what this song's about. I do too. What? It's about this girl. It's about sex. Do you even know what that is? Do you Duh. know what it is? <laughs> What's that? Makeup of my mom's. You stole it? Oh, boy. Celia, I think it's time for you to go home now. Okay. All right. 
Okay, so McGill is the one who says, I bet you don't know what the song is about. And she's like, yeah, I know. It's about a girl. He's saying, no, it's about sex. And it's like, oh, yeah, like, you know what that is. Uh-huh. And, of course, they start dancing. McGill turns up the music. He brings out a shoebox that's got makeup, like, um, a brush for, um... Blush, mascara, you know, eyeliner, and they're both putting makeup on. And Magilla is just with the lipstick, too, and the feathered boa, the crowns, and everything. They're dancing. And Magilla's mother opens the door and says, Delia, I think you need to go home. Now, We'll learn what Magilla's secret is exactly, but how could anyone not, like, I mean, you think, oh, like, maybe Magilla is is gay, maybe he's trans, I mean, this is 2002, so I don't think trans transgender at the point was, it was definitely a thing, but it, I mean... Just seeing the situation, the scene, and not knowing the outcome of the episode that we learn later, because I was completely floored when I found out what actually the situation is with Magilla that Edna does explain. Uh, but now we see Andy's on the phone. All right, I understand. No, no, there's, there's really no need to explain. No, 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 of course not. All right, we'll talk again soon. I thought that Andy was, like, fielding a call from Magilla's mom. No, he's actually, he was on the phone with the Hearts, who have decided not to go through with the surgery for Colin, figuring it's probably, it's too risky, we don't want to take that chance and have him be worse off than before, as Ephraim comes in. So we see a product placement here, we got Tropicana, we got... A bag of KFC. We got two spray-on butters. As Ephraim is uh, going through the fridge. And Ephraim's like, oh, uh, who was that? Work stuff? And Andy says, yeah, the hearts. They decided not to pursue the surgical option. And Andy tells Ephraim, it's like, you can't blame them. It's a difficult decision to make. And Ephraim's like, wait, so that's just it? And Andy's saying, you know, who knows what Colin's condition, you know, it's constantly evolving, like tomorrow, next week, next month, it could be a whole new ball game. Ephraim, you're putting your nose into something that you shouldn't be doing to begin with. You don't have a say in this. So this is between the hearts and Andy. And the fact that you shouldn't have just told Amy, oh, don't worry, Colin's surgery's a done deal. You don't know... All the details. And the fact that you're giving Amy, like, oh, don't worry. Like, it's going to be fine. Like, you don't know. You don't know. You're making promises again to this girl when you shouldn't be doing that. Because all you're doing is getting her hopes up. And she's going to be crushed when she eventually finds out that the hearts are the one that don't want to do the surgery. And if you think about it, Amy's just a girlfriend, so she doesn't really have a say in this matter. At the end of the day, it comes down to what the parents want, what their wishes for their son are. Who was that? Yeah, just work stuff. Is it about Colin Hart? As a matter of fact, it was. 
What'd they say? Who? Oh, they decided not to pursue the surgical option. What? Well, you can hardly blame them. I mean, it's a tough decision to make. Wait, so that's just it? Well, nothing's just it. Colin's status is constantly evolving. Who knows? Tomorrow, next week, next month, could be a whole new ballgame. So you're just going to let it lie? Well, there's no point forcing the issue. That's a new thing, right? This whole laissez-faire country doctor bit. Everyone doctors don't shut have all the up. They don't. No. Sometimes parents have the answers, too. Hey, when you're done letting the cold air out of the fridge, set the table, will you? attitude just ticks me the hell off. Like, who the hell does he think he is talking to his father like that? Ephraim, one day you're gonna wake up and realize you don't have all the answers, so grow the fuck up. Enough with the damn drama queen attitude. It's not always about you and what you want. So we go back to Everwood High. Ephraim's sitting on the gr floor probably waiting for his class to start. And he's working on some sheet music, just making adjustments. And Amy comes up to him. I guess he's got to break it to her that uh, the hearts decided to not do the surgery. But then again, that's not really his business to tell her either. Oh, okay, so she d does already know. And Ephraim's like, well, honestly, well... She says, you know, I shouldn't have gotten my hopes up. And Ephraim's like, you know, people said no to my dad at first, but usually they'd come around. Like, he'd say something to um, convince them in the end. And Amy is, like, hanging on to Ephraim's every word. She is just clinging to anything at this point. As Ephraim says, you know, people in this town are different. It's like... You gotta know them 25 years before they let you change it, their tire. And she's like, what, you don't think your dad could convince the hearts? And Ephraim's like, I don't know, but maybe you could. And she's like, me? She's like, what, you think I could? And he's like, yeah, sure. So great. So now she's going to go and try to convince them, be disappointed, and then blame Ephraim for it. Like, it was a mere suggestion. You didn't have to act on it. Hey, Ephraim. You know, you once in a while, back in New York, people would say no to my dad. At first. Then what happened? Well, he persuaded him he was right. Yeah, you know, except. What? Well, this town people are different. I mean, you, you gotta know them 25 years before they let you change their tire. So, you don't think your dad could convince the hearts? I don't know. But. Maybe you could. Me? Really? You think? Yeah. Now we hop over to Everwood Elementary with Delia and Magilla, and he's straight up, what's this, is it ghost? No, I think ghosting, isn't that where, like, you make plans with someone and you don't show up? No, he's pretty much just snubbing her and giving her the, the cold shoulder, ignoring her. He's like, hey, you want to play uh, Foursquare with me? And he just looks up at her and looks back down at his paper. It's like Magilla is just going to hang out with the guys, hang out with the boys. 
Because the kid comes up, hey, we're playing dodgeball, you win? He's like, yep. And of course the kid's like, hey, we got Megillah. So she's like, oh, do you want to play after school? And he's like, no. She's like, why not? And he's really harsh with her, like, because last time I got in trouble, moron. But then he starts to walk away, but turns back and says, my mom said I can't, sorry. I just feel bad for poor Delia. She just wants to make a friend. Not the one friend she made. <laughs> His mom won't let her play with him. So now we get to Andy and Gretchen Trout. Why do I keep calling her Trout? It's Trot. <laughs> and he's just examining her for any abnormalities, you know, growths of any kind. And luckily she checks out everything's fine. And now he feels like she's kind of like... Uh, psychoanalyzing him, just the fact that he doesn't charge his patients, he doesn't need the money, less paperwork. And he's like, oh, I see. You probably think I'd do this just to get in, you know, in good with people or to make friends. Like, alright, alright, give me your diagnosis, doctor. I I kind of like this between them. It's just... It's cute. She's kind of wondering why a neurosurgeon that's going to be like, go down, who's going to go down in the history books, moves to the middle of nowhere and gets his resource away for free. Basically, medical professional advice and examinations for free. Gosh, I want to see this doctor. Can I see this doctor? I, not that there's anything wrong, but uh, yeah. I just honestly, if I had to choose between Dr. Brown and Dr. Abbott is my doctor. I honestly would go with Andy because he's going to tell me straightforward. He's got a great bedside manner. I mean, granted, he's not going to lie to you either. And I'm not saying that Harold would lie. I'm just saying, like, his bedside manner is not... Yeah. I don't know. If I'm going to get, like, a terminal diagnosis, I would honestly probably rather have it from Dr. Brown than... Or, uh, Dr. Andy Brown instead of Dr. Harold Abbott, so. You know, before when I used to watch Everwood and tape, uh, the episodes off the television, I usually tended to fast forward through these conversations, you know, scenes with the adults and be more apt to the scenes with, like, Ephraim and Amy and stuff like that. But now it's interesting on the second go around watching the show and kind of getting more insight and I'm more focused on Andy and his development as well as, you know, Ephraim and, and Delia and stuff. So I'm seeing it through the eyes of a, of a podcaster and trying to, you know, look at it more from a different perspective than just enjoyment. But more of like also, uh, character study. I mean, guys, I don't have a degree of any kind, but I just, I like the show, the characters, and I like kind of looking at them with a close, with a closer lens. So she looks at Andy and sees the denial effect, and she kind of goes into the breakdown of that and what it means, like what she sees in Andy and everything like that. The two doctors from two totally different professions coming in from two different angles and it just one's more for the mind one's more for the body and it's interesting to see her kind of uh 
examine him in a way. So now we're going to go to the Abbott house. And looks like Amy is got some... Oh, I remember. Okay, I think she wants to invite the, um, the hearts to dinner. I think I kind of remembered that upon my first or second viewing. You know, another person we haven't seen in a while... We, it feels like we haven't seen Bright in an episode or two. But he's got a date, and Amy's like, no, I you have to be here tonight for the dinner with the hearts. And I can kind of see how he would be like, well, if Dr. Brown couldn't convince them to do the surgery on Colin, how do you think you're going to change their mind? Fred, where are you going? Got a date. Tonight? No, 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 you have to be here for dinner. I don't think so. I got one shot with Jim and Maxwell, Mom's tuna cornflake casserole. Not going to seal the deal. Right. You can't go. You have to be here. What? Mom invited the hearts over. So? So I've got all the research prepared about the surgery. All you have to do is just... I thought they already said no. They could change their minds. Fat chance. Besides, I don't think we should be getting involved. We're already involved, right? Colin is your best friend. You have to help me. You have to tell them It's that... a lost cause, Amy. What is wrong with you? Don't you want him back? So Amy, of course, did all this internet research on Colin's, you know, comatose case as far as probably general research in relation to other comatose patients similar to Colin's. And she wants Bright there kind of for emotional support. And he's like, look, the heart said no. Nothing you say is going to convince them. And honestly, I think we need to stay out of this. And she's like, he's your best friend. Don't you want him back? You know, that's as he's leaving. I guess he's got a date with some girl that he uh, wants to score with. And his mom's tuna cornflake casserole is not going to seal the deal. So, yeah, he's out. And he even thinks it's a lost cause at this point. And you just see Amy just breaking inside. Like, she needs someone to stand on that platform with her. She needs that emotional support to face because she thinks if it's her and Bright together, that maybe they'll stand a better chance. But if it's just her and she's got Colin's parents and also Harold and Rose are just saying you need to be respectful of their decision, then yeah. So now we're going to cut to the Brown House where, of course, Andy's attempt at another meal is... Obviously not going over well. Someone's dumping a shit ton of salt on their meal. It's like, oh, I take it this meal did not uh, go over so well with you, huh? Ugh. This is sad, because Andy can definitely tell there's something up with Delia. She's like, oh, the food's fine. And she says, Magilla didn't want to play with me today. And Andy says, well, maybe he wanted to play with his other friends. And Delia's like, he doesn't have other friends. And Andy says, well, maybe he'll play with you tomorrow. It's like, no, I don't think he will because he said he can't play with any, play with me anymore. And apparently it's because of what his mom does not want her there influencing her son. And it seems like whenever 
Delia and Megillah get together. This feminine side awakens inside of Megillah with the playing with the dolls, playing dress up, listening to pop music, putting on makeup. And of course, she doesn't like where this is headed with her son. We'll find out later why this is such a problem. Not bad, huh? Pens. What is it? Point taken. What do you think, Delia? It's fine. Is something wrong, do you? Miguel wouldn't play with me today. No, I probably just want to play with his other friends for a change. Miguel doesn't have other friends. Well, I'm sure he'll want to play with you again tomorrow, sweetheart. No, he won't. He said he can't play with me anymore. Why not? His mom said. Well, why would she say a thing like that? She doesn't like me. <laughs> That's impossible. You have to have a parent talk. But with Miguel, I'm not his parent. No. You have to talk to his parents. You know, that's actually a very good idea, Ephraim. Tell you what, we'll go over there right after dinner. Hey, we can stop off and pick up some ice cream on the way over. Mm -hmm. Sort of a peace offering. That might work. So, it looks like Ephraim's got to be the one to give Andy some parenting advice. It's like, you have to talk to Magilla's parents about this. So Andy's like, okay, hey, how about this? Delia, you and I can go pick up some ice cream and take it over to Megilla's house as a peace offering. And she's like, okay, that will work. So let's get to the dinner with the Abbots and the Hearts. Pretty much Amy is riding solo on this whole uh, convincing Colin's parents to reconsider Dr. Brown's offer. Because at some point, they are going to be convinced to do the operation. Because that's just how season one plays out. The last time we were so well taken care of. I swear, Amy is no different than Ephraim when thinking that they should be allowed to confront an adult about a situation that has... Oh my goodness gracious. It's like these kids... In these teen shows, the kids... No way... In reality, would a teenager dare to question an adult's motives? Only in these teen dramas does something like this exist. Because Amy's being really snippy with the fact that she's saying, Oh, it must be nice to enjoy a good time while Colin's just lying in a coma. Oh, why won't you let Dr. Brown perform the surgery? It's like, Amy is 100% out of line. And eventually... Rose and Harold are gonna be like, you need to stop this. You are being so rude and insensitive. Like, anything's oh, she may have lost a boyfriend to an accident in a coma, but the hearts lost a son. They've lost what? At least, what, how many months has it been? Six months? Four months? They have no idea. She's not a parent, she has no idea what they're going through. So Harold, of course, excuses Amy's actions and her behavior. Like, I'm sorry, but you'll have to excuse Amy. She's been under a great deal of strain lately. And Amy goes after her father. Like, don't talk to me like I'm not here. Don't talk about me like I'm not here. And Rose butts in with, uh, her, we learned that Amy's middle name is Nicole. Like, that's enough. She even threatens her with grounding. Like, you gotta stop this. 
And clearly they must know, like, this is the reason that Amy wanted to have the hearts over. But if this is your tactic for trying to get them to change their minds, you need to rethink your actions, girl. Check your behavior, behavior at the door. I can't remember the last time we were so well taken care of. Thank you for having us, Rose. How are you holding up? It must be hard to have a nice time anywhere knowing that Colin's just behind me. I think about him all the time. Then why won't Dr. Brown be performing surgery? Amy, you'll have to forgive her. She's been <laughs> under some strain lately. Don't talk about me like I'm not here. Amy, Nicole, that is enough. It's all right, Rose. I feel the same way you do, honey. There's nothing that we can do. Yes, there is. Dr. Brown is one of the premier brain surgeons in the United States. Patients fly halfway around the world for a consultation, and we have him right here. And he wants to help us. No. No, he doesn't. We agreed that Colin should have the surgery, and it was Dr. Brown who changed his mind. So yeah, that really threw me for a loop. I really had no idea that Andy was the one that said he didn't want to perform the surgery. Because that phone conversation, granted we were only hearing it from Andy's end, sounded like the hearts just didn't want. But then again, maybe they're just saying that Andy was the one to turn them down, to not want to do the surgery, to maybe uh, make Amy feel better well not so much feel better but just kind of they can already see that Amy is not happy about the situation and just to say like we decided not to do the surgery and let's just throw the blame on to Dr. Brown. Now of course we go to McGilla's home whose first name is Stuart and Annie brought a couple pints of Ben and Jerry's kind of peace offering and they rang the doorbell like four times. Finally, the mother answers like, oh, I'm sorry, I have something to do. And Andy is like, look, I'm sorry if there's any confusion about Delia playing over here with your son. And he's saying how apparently McGill's father had no idea about the situation of the kids playing dress up. And he looks at his wife like, why didn't you tell me about this? She's like, oh, I was going to. And Andy's, like, being, being a doctor saying, oh, it's perfectly normal for kids at this age to play dress-up. He finally says, I don't want your daughter coming over here and playing with my son. And just, and even the, McGilla's mother's like, please don't come here again. And they shut the door. And Andy and Delia are just baffled. Like, what is the problem here? And poor Delia, my heart goes out to this girl. She's like, Dad, what's wrong with me? And he's like, honey, there is nothing wrong with you. Things are starting to melt. Do you think I should ring again? <clears throat> rang four times. They don't want us to come in. There we go. Stay. Good evening. I'm Andy Brown, and I think you know my daughter Delia. Hope you don't mind our dropping by like this. We got Ben and Jerry's. We rang the bell a couple times, and... Uh, well, I'll just get right to the point. Uh, it's come to my attention that there's been some kind of misunderstanding. You know, I, my I, daughter's I, I, under the impression that you don't want her playing with your son, Stuart. Do you really want to discuss this in front of your daughter? What's this, Jenny? Uh, this is a friend of Stuart's, Howard, and her father. Andy Brown, pleased to meet you. You know, Delia was telling me an amusing story on the way over here. She said that 
she and your son were playing the other day, and uh, this is hard for me to believe because Delia has been a tomboy ever since she was in the womb. <laughs> but, the, well, they were playing dress-up. Well, I can assure you that as a physician that at this age, this kind of play is, is, is perfectly all right. All the same, if it bothers you, uh, you don't have to worry because it won't happen again. Why didn't you tell me about this? I was going to. <coughs> Keep your daughter away from her son. I'm sorry? You heard me. <coughs> Please don't come back. Get these home before they melt. Dad, is something wrong with me? Nothing is wrong with you, sweetheart. There is nothing wrong with you. So luckily we have Edna who's gonna shed some light on the whole situation with Megilla and his parents and this secret that seems to be surrounding Megilla. So we got Ephraim in the auditorium. He's going through the music for this play or whatever you want to call this fall ballet recital. I can imagine now that Amy is armed with that information, oh, no, it was Dr. Brown who didn't want to do the surgery on Colin, that she is going to come full force at Ephraim and just unload on him. Oh, oh, I see what this is. Okay, this is not something for the play, the ballet recital thing. This is actually a song that he's written for Amy. Oh, buddy, you are going to get your heart crushed. He's got it bad for this girl. And just the fact that he was telling her, like, oh, maybe it'd be best. I mean, you're still going to be with him even if the surgery is a success, if it goes through. Like, maybe it'd be better for him if you... And she's like, no, I want Colin. That's all I want, no matter how he is. Dang, she is got two pistols loaded and aimed at Ephraim. Why didn't you tell me? What? Did your father turn them down? <coughs> what? The hearts asked him if he could do the surgery. Wait, why, why, why wouldn't my dad want to operate? You tell me. No, it's, it's impossible. I mean, my dad's a jerk, but he's never turned anyone down before. My dad's never met long odds he didn't like. Oh, he didn't like Collins. You sure you got this right? The hearts told me. Because the guy I know would give his life not to rescue a kid from a coma and, you know, be the town hero. Are you sure he didn't tell you anything about this? Why would I lie to you, Amy? You're the only person I care about in this whole stupid town. Like, I didn't know. I swear. So she thinks that Ephraim lied about Andy saying that he wasn't going to perform the surgery. She's like, why wouldn't you tell me that? And he's like, I wouldn't lie to you. And he says, my dad would give his left nut. And to be a hero and to save this person's life. Like, come on. There, he never met odds he didn't like. And he even, Ephraim just puts his heart on his, wears his heart on his sleeve 100%. Just throws it out there and just says, Amy, you're the only thing I care about in this stupid town. Why would I lie to you? And she doesn't even really react to that. It's like her ears are deaf to that. 
because all she sees is Colin. And anything that she needs to do to make that surgery happen, she's going to do that. So now we go to Harold's office, and he's complaining about the fact that there are too many chairs in this room. I said ten chairs, and I meant it. Oh, for heaven's sake. My gosh, this guy is so anal. He's talking about redoing the color coding on the patient's charts. Oh, get me a copy of the seating chart for the recital. He is so damn He is beyond Danny Tanner anal. Like, with that. He and Danny Tanner need to go out to lunch. I swear they do. His anal tendencies are like off the charts. Wow. Apparently there were surprises last year. Oh, we don't want that again. Oh, by the way, get me coffee. Why would you get him? You get him coffee and he's going to complain about it. You can get him the best coffee in the world and you'd find something to complain about. Because this is Harold Abbott. This is what he does. He does not appreciate appreciate Louise at all. She needs to find a job where her work is appreciated. Okay, I'm wondering if she's gonna quit because she is just like, he didn't even say good morning to her. She knocks on his door and says, good morning, Dr. Abbott. He's like, good morning, Louise. Did, do you need something? Did we forget something? And she's like, now when you say we, do you mean we as in the both of us or do you mean me? Yeah. She's calling him out. Good on you, Louise. You call him out for his... I'm playing this because this girl, yes, you need to stand up for yourself more, Louise, just like you're doing right now. Good morning, Dr. Abbott. <laughs> Good morning, Louise. Was there something... When you say we, do you mean we or do you mean me? I'm sorry, I... We need to redo the color coding. Do you mean we or me? Well, you, I suppose. Then I'd appreciate it if you'd say, could you please have the folders redone by Friday, Louise? And furthermore, I was not hired to make coffee. So, if I choose to do so, it will be on a case-by-case, -case, personal favor basis. Is that understood? Yes, girl. Louise. You're the one who told me my lack of assertiveness was limiting my career potential. Oh, no, I only... So I signed up with Dr. Trott. <laughs> yep. You can hang your own scarf. That's right, you can hang your own scarf. So she's been to see Dr. Trot. Trout, trot, whatever. <laughs> so that's where she's getting this assertive confidence. She's like, you can hang your own scarf. So now Harold is going to go have it out with Gretchen Trout. Trot. Trot. Oh, God. <laughs> uh, he's like, no, no, no. You're not going to mess with my secretary's head. Uh, yeah, I need my coffee. I need my stuff done for me. The fact that he's even saying, like, oh, before you got through with Louise, she was a normal person who could think for herself. Really? Because I think Louise is finally taking a stand about how a secretary wants to be treated by her employer. That's, there's nothing wrong with that. If you want to use her as a doormat, that's your problem. But I don't think anyone's going to stay and be used as a doormat by their employer. That's just not healthy. <laughs> of course, Brenda gets in there. It's like, oh my gosh, doctor, I've had a breakthrough. And... Gretchen, Dr. Gretchen, I'm just going to call her that because Trout or Trot, I can't keep this straight in my head. 
She pushes Harold out the door and shuts the door. Uh, apparently she's got her her entourage that are her followers, if you will, all standing outside her RV, like, to protect her. So he's, like, pounding on her door, calling her Dr. Feelgood, saying, I'll have you evicted. Dude, do you even see how you're coming? You are the town doctor. Well, one of two. But look how you're coming across to these people may or may not be his patients. I don't know. But my God, if I saw my doctor becoming unhinged out in public, I'd be kind of apprehensive about wanting to make an appointment. I get it. Once you, you leave the doctor hat at your job, you don't bring it with you. And you're free to do as you put. But, eh, you gotta see, a, if you had a role like that, a doctor or, or in a certain type of profession, you want to carry yourself out in public in a way that isn't going to hurt your image. Okay, Harold, you need to stop. This is just ridiculous. He's like, I'll have you told. Go away. Just go to your patients. He must not have any patients right now because he's able to just go up to her and start har He's harassing her. He, she did not invite him into her uh, um, RV trailer. Hey, we know where uh, Amy gets her uh, <laughs> her fire from. It definitely wasn't Rose. <laughs> and he's like, you're all crazy to all these onlookers. It's like, uh, I think you need to point that finger in your own direction, sir. All right, so it looks like Delia is down the one friend she had. She comes into Andy's office. Head hung low, so sad and depressed. And Andy is finally like, okay, we gotta have this out with McGillis' parents because enough's enough. They won't even give me an actual reason as to why they don't want their son hanging out with you. And I can't stand that. They're hurting my daughter. So Edna, of course, is gonna have to butt in here and actually reveal why they don't think it's a good idea for Delia to be hanging out with their son. Hey, sweetheart. Didn't Poor sound very kid. enthusiastic. Friend's still not talking to you, huh? He's got a willpower for a third grader. He wasn't in school today. Oh, he's probably just out sick. I asked Miss Violet. She said he wasn't coming back. What? Do you believe this? Those parents <laughs> yanked their kid out of school for playing dress-up? I mean, that's that's medieval. All right, Delia, here's what we're going to do. We are going over there right now. Yeah. The QT and I will see that they listen to reason. These Lost. people who clearly know nothing about child ring. I mean, if I could tell that they're doing it wrong. In your office, Sarge. Look, I don't know what the... As Dr. Sauerfuss's nurse, I was privy to some information which I normally wouldn't disclose, but under the circumstances, it's about little Stuart, Magilla. He wasn't born a he. What? Not a she, neither, exactly. Ambiguous genitalia. What some in the profession call hermaphrodite. This is the gorilla kid? The one who put a bug up his own nose? The parents see right off that they're in the deep serious on this one, and they send him to a specialist in Denver. This genius follows the prevailing wisdom and suggests that since baby mcgill has got a fairly well-formed you-know-what and generally looks masculine, the parents should rear him as a boy, no questions asked. Then Delia comes along, and they see their boy playing with a girl, playing like a girl. Well, the situation only become more complicated as he approaches puberty. 
I should probably talk to them about something. You can talk till you're blue in the face, Doc. It's not going to change this family's ideas of how to raise their child. I'm not change per se, but I could... No. All I'm saying is I could just... No. Let me tell you this, and I mean no offense by it, but I'm not entirely sure anyone's ever told you this before. There are some things that you can't fix. So before Andy can take Delia and storm Magilla's house, Edna finally decides to say, all right, you and me got to have a talk in your office. And she breaks it down for him that Magilla was not exactly born a boy. And not a girl either. Turns out he's, what did she say, pseudo-hermathodite? Something to that effect? And they took the baby to a specialist in Denver where he suggested, since the boy, baby had a fully formed, you know, penis, um, that just raise him like a boy. And now Delia comes along, who's a girl, playing with their son, playing things like dolls and dress up and makeup. And this has got to be very confusing for Magilla. And it turns out, I'm guessing they had seen Dr. Atpus, Edna says Dr. Sourpuss, which is her son. And she was privy to that information. And the fact that Andy always wants to be able to fix things. And it's like, this is something that you, and she even says, it's like, many people probably haven't told you this, but honestly, you need to realize there are things you cannot fix. Like, you need to let this alone. And Delia even said, it turns out, McGillow isn't homesick from school. His mother, his parents pulled him out of school. So... Wow, that is, that's got to be a lot for that kid to deal with. The fact that he's being yanked out of school, being put somewhere else, they're probably moving somewhere else where he can probably, I would say, attend like a private boys school or something like that would be my guess. It's like we don't want any situations like what we've just had to deal with come up again, so let's send you to an all-boys school. <sighs> And even Andy's mentioning, you know, it's just going to get tougher as this kid eventually approaches adolescence. And I'm just kind of curious for, like, the writer of the episode. Well, I think it's mainly going to be uh, Greg Berlanti, the creator. I'd like to know, like, how he came up with this story for Magilla. Because we only get to see Magilla. Honestly, I think this is the last episode we see him. But just in this short amount of time that we see him and the impact that he has on, on Delia, it's just... And this kid actually was in, um, I think it's 2004, the movie Identity with John Cusack. And there's all these different um, people that are staying at this hotel or motel and they all have the same exact birth date. Um... If you don't want to hear the ending to that movie, um, fast forward like 30 seconds. Basically the ending of the movie, and I was shocked when I saw it. I'm like, wow, I did not see that one coming. Was <laughs> all those people that have the same birthday. Because it's the kid, it's his parent, it's the kid, and then these other uh, characters, John Cusack included, that all have this birthday. And they're all being killed off one by one. 
turns out those were all personalities in this guy's head. Because we see at the end there's this, you know, heavy set guy who looks like John Cusack, only heavier. And the very ending we see, I think, what's her name? Amanda Peet, her character. And then we also see the boy who plays McGilla here plays Tim. And we just see Amanda Peet's character, like, you know, hoeing a garden or something. And Tim comes up behind her with a hoe and just, like, takes her out, like, kills her. The kid who plays McGilla acts really good in that movie, too, at the end. Like, wow. I mean, that's one of those surprises you don't see coming at all. Almost makes me want to go back and watch that movie. Ephraim, of course, is trying to get his tie straightened for the recital. And Andy and Delia come down, and Andy says, oh, is uh, Amy nervous? And Abram's like, no, she's too pissed off. And Andy's like, we need to respect the heart's decision to not go through with the surgery. And, of course, Ephraim calls him on it, like, oh, their decision? More like your decision. And he's like, this is so typical. The one time it matters. It's like, Ephraim, what the hell is wrong with you? You gotta stop speaking to your dad this way. Of course... Andy's like, it always matters. Only this time it matters to you. And apparently, ugh, Ephraim, see, this is what happens when you get too involved with someone. It's like, he can't see. The only thing he sees is Amy and his feelings for Amy. He's like, Amy matters to me. And she's not used to being let down by you, not yet, just like I am. It's like, dude, Ephraim, I am just... <laughs> up with this kid. He is so, he gives Lucas Scott from One Tree Hill a run for his money in the moody, broody, I'm going to talk back to adults the way I want to. How Andy hasn't backhanded Ephraim, I'll never understand. Because that kid needs to be... Just, I don't know. So Andy lets Ephraim know that... The Hearts had asked Andy what he would do if this were his son, if he were in the, their situation. And he told them he thought it was risky. And he also feels, you know, it's tempting to leap in and try to fix, you know, and surgically fix things. But even Edna said, it's like, there are some things you can't fix. And Ephraim's calling bullshit on what Andy's saying. It's like, really, if it were me in a coma, when there was a zillionth of a percent chance you could ride in and save me, I'm like, your attitude right now would probably make me leave your ass in a coma for a bit. He is so damned out of line. Same with Amy. He and her are two peas in a pod. 
Jamie nervous about the recital? He's too pissed off. These are difficult decisions. What the hearts decide is their prerogative, and we have to respect that. What the hearts decided? What you decided for them. This is so typical. The one time it matters. It always matters, Ephraim. It just so happens that this time it matters to you. But that doesn't mean that Amy I... matters to me. And as pathetic as it may be, you were her only shot. She's not used to being let down by you. Not yet. Listen to me, Ephraim. These people asked me what I would do if it were my son. And I told them that I thought it was risky. It's tempting to leap in and try and surgically fix things. That's a load. You know it. If it were your son, if it were me, you'd let me sit there in a coma when there was a zillionth of a percent chance you could ride in your white horse and save me? I don't think so. Now, if I didn't know any better, I'd think you were scared. We're gonna be late. So I gotta say, towards the end of... Ephraim's little speech here was saying, you're scared. I know that if it were me in a coma, you'd jump in there without a moment's hesitation and save me. And the look on Andy's face, that expression is almost like, is what Ephraim's saying true? To a degree. As in, maybe Andy is scared. And if you think about it, there's a lot riding on this. Because if you think about it, from what we learn, Colin is kind of the golden boy of Everwood. I mean, you got Bright and Amy, who are the son and daughter of a mayor and the town doctor, but the way that they see Colin, everyone in this town sees Colin, and they put him up on this pedestal, it's like, yeah, he thinks if this goes south, not only are his parents going to blame me, his his girlfriend's going to blame it. The whole town is going to turn on this man. I mean, granted, yes, if you haven't seen season two, that's pretty much, spoiler. that's a reaction this town is going to have. Like, they have, like, this collective hive mind where one person thinks one thing and everyone else, like, grasps to that same thought. Oh my god! This lady, does she got people come in to sit on either side of her because she's sitting smack in the middle where there's a seat on either side. And he's like, excuse me, would you mind moving a seat so that way my daughter and I could sit together? And you think, oh, the lady's old, she'll say yes. She's like, no. <laughs> Is Harold sitting in the in front of Andy and Delia? I think that's Harold. <laughs> oh, God. Who is this lady? Like, lady, just move over a seat. I mean, granted, when I'm in the theater before they had the, um, where you choose your own seats bef when you get your ticket, before, when you could just sit wherever, it would irritate the hell out of me. It's like, oh, can you move over a seat? I'd be like, hell no! I came early so I can get the seat that I want. Maybe this lady is under the same thought process. I don't know, but it's like I went out of my way to get here early at the theater to pick out the seat that I want, the one I always tend to pick, and you're wanting me to move. Really. How about next time you get here 20-plus minutes earlier or more and find a seat? Because I ain't moving. <laughs> but I just love Andy's, like, reacting, like, oh, Okay. <laughs> Excuse me, would you mind moving over one so my daughter and I could sit together? No. 
wouldn't mind, or... I'm a person, and I'm important. Oh, for heaven's sake! You wouldn't any chance to be a patient of Dr. Clearly Scott, she is. Well, yes. <laughs> Come on, sit on the inside, sweetheart. <laughs> you really got this down. I read The Art of War. How long do you have to wait for these scenes? <laughs> Three hours. He brings his backlog of medical journals. The hearts told us about your decision. Oh? It's what I do. It's the more cautious choice. Well, thank you. I'm glad you agree. <coughs> I said it's what I do. <laughs> Dang! <laughs> yeah, apparently this lady's been to see Dr. Trot. Because she's all about, I'm a person and I'm important. Uh, okay, so I guess Delia's going to sit on the other side of this lady. So, turns out, yes, um, Harold and Rose are sitting in front of Andy. And he's like, hey, how'd you get these seats? Apparently he's been waiting for, th he waited three hours to get those seats. He's got his medical journals on the two other seats, which are, I'm guessing, for Bright and... Or maybe it could be for the hearts. I'm not sure exactly. And Harold actually kind of commends Andy with, you know, I am heard about your decision with the hearts and everything. It's what I do. And Andy's like, oh, it's so good that you agree. And Harold's like, no, I just said it's what I do. <laughs> well, he is not going to ever admit to agreeing with you in any way. Uh, we go backstage, we got Amy who's getting ready in her costume, and of course, somebody brought flowers. Now, it wasn't Colin, but it was Colin's mother who said, you know, Colin gives you flowers every year, and I wanted to make sure that, you know, we didn't miss this year. This is such a sweet gesture, especially after, after everything with... With Colin and the no-go on the surgery and everything. She hugs Amy and just says, you know, Colin would never forgive me if I didn't give you these flowers. And I know he'd give anything to be here. And she hugs Amy. And Amy just looks. She is about ready to break down in tears with emotion. Just the thought that, no, Colin should be here and he's not. So Ephraim finds Amy and she's just staring at the flowers that Colin's mom had given her and she's just realizing like Colin's gone he's not coming back I mean clearly they're not doing the surgery he's not going to come out of the coma on his own without it so and she's just crying and Ephraim's like you don't know what he could come out of it you don't know and she's like no no he's not going to and Ephraim of course is going to run and get you know um Harold, like, there's something going on with Amy. I don't know. She's just, she's just really upset. And you know, it's interesting how the fact that all these other girls are there getting ready and not one of them is bothered to, like, look over and see poor Amy on the floor and ask her if anything's wrong.
to a question I out to the audience gets Harold and just said it's Amy you have to come back so Amy is just sitting there it's like she is just in a whole other state of mind as Harold and Rose get back there and Harold picks her up and just says honey we're going home okay because he even like kind of like touches her face like honey honey are you okay and she's just not responding not even looking at him so, I think, in a way, she is in a state of shock. And the look that Ephraim just gives Andy, like, this is all your fault, kind of thing. <sighs> this kid. It's not Andy's fault. Looks like Andy is going to pay another visit to Megillah's house. And, of course, you know that his mother does not want him there. I can't talk to you. It's just for a minute. I just saw what happened last time. I'm sorry. I'm not here to tell you how to raise your kids. I need your help. Please. I'll come around at the side door. Don't knock. I know about your son's condition. Could you? I won't. I'm ethically bound not to disclose your son's medical history to anyone. But I want to help you. As a doctor. We've can... been to doctors. Don't you understand? All we want to do is, is to put this behind us. Stuart won't be able to put it behind him. Maybe that's not such a bad thing. These kids grew up to be very special people. They've got a lifetime of empathy inside of them by the time they turn 10, and that's a tremendous gift. But you cannot put him in a box and try... Please, just go. Stuart's not the reason I came here. But I would like to ask you to do one thing for me. For my daughter. I 
you go, kiddo? How'd that go? Fine. Maybe you two could stay in touch with letters or email. You'll make new friends, do you? I don't want to make new friends. I don't want to say goodbye to people anymore. So, Andy, of course, the wrong approach. It's like, oh, I'm a doctor. I can see your son. And, of course, Makilla's mother's like, we've been to all the doctors. Okay? We just were. I figured they're going to send him to an all-boys school. That that was going to be the thing to help him. It's like, oh, boy. What if he eventually gets a girlfriend? How is that going to? I don't know. That inner turmoil of just fighting to get through and, you know, who he wants to be and how he's going to identify later on. It's just, it's going to be so confusing. But, of course, Andy isn't there for himself. He's there for Delia. And this is such a sweet moment between Delia and Megilla. We get to see them say goodbye. And she offers her hat. And he's like, I don't like that hat. And she's like, yes, you do. You said you did. And he's like, a girl's hat. I don't like girls. And she's like, I don't like boys. And he's like, you don't hate all boys, right? And she's like, no. He's like, well, I guess I don't hate all girls. And he takes the hat and it's so sad when Delia gets in the car and Andy's like, you guys can, you know, email and, and write letters and stuff. And he's like, you'll make new friends. And she just, it just breaks my heart to hear her say, I don't want to make new friends. I don't want to say goodbye anymore. It's like, my God, that's just so heart-wrenching. And it looks like Amy's in better spirits, which is awesome. Let's hope Ephraim doesn't drag her down by saying, oh, but last night you were so out of it. Like, uh, she's clearly put it behind her. Seriously, she wants to put it behind her, but he just wants to keep bringing it up. Dude, if she's going to let it go and move forward, then I think it's best if you just don't rehash what happened the night before. She's like going like 100 miles an hour with her, her mouth. She's talking about how she like totally spazzed out when she went on a family trip and she didn't study for some test or something. She's like, I feel completely and totally together. Like, uh, whatever you say, I mean... <laughs> Whatever you say. And even everyone's like, you're talking faster than my brain processes language. She's asking how he is, and he's like, how are you really? She's like, I'm fine. I'm completely fine. You are so far from fine, you're not even in the same zip code of fine, Amy. <laughs> he needs to let this go. Why? This kid harps on stuff too damn much. It's like, this person wants to let this go and not think about it. Why do you need to drudge it up? If somebody got drunk and then couldn't remember the night before and just wanted to forget it even happened, yet the friend is constantly like, oh, well, you were really f messed up last night. You were, like, dancing on tables and taking your top off and this and that. And it's just really, are you sure you're okay? It's like, stop it. I mean, I get it. Everyone's a caring soul, but it's just... When someone wants to drop something and not talk about something, you need to respect that and move on. You look better? I feel better. Really? I'm totally fine. Because last night was pretty... Freaky, right? 
funny because the exact same thing happened to me once before when I went on this family trip and I didn't have time to study for Mr. Bernie's chem test. I just spazzed out. I just lost it. But you know what? I guess it's good that I got it out of my system because I feel completely, totally together, you know? <laughs> just so embarrassed that everyone's, I mean, like, so not typical of you. But. You're talking faster than my brain processes language. Oh. Sorry, I'm, I'm a little bit. Anyway, so, how are you? How are you? I'm great. How are you, really? I'm completely fine. Really, I am. Guess so. <laughs> if not, you can tell me. I just told you I am. Alright, but you know, if, if you want to talk about anything or whatever, I'll be here. You know, oh my god. I completely forgot. I'm supposed to meet Cameron Page to go to the mall. I gotta go. Sorry. Here. So, he's like, oh, just wanted to let you know that I'm here. And, of course, Amy's like, oh, my gosh, I forgot to, like, tell Paige and Kayla, you know, her pain-in-the-ass friends, that she's going to meet them at the mall. And he's like, uh, yeah, just wanted to let you know that I'm here. And she just zips out of out of the hallway. Ugh. I, I don't know about this. Ephraim and Amy, I mean... Like I said, in my original viewing, I was rooting for them. I do. But just, they're, early on, they're some pain, they're, they're kind of pain in the butt characters. <laughs> they can, I mean, maybe because it could be because I'm older now, since I originally saw it. When I originally watched it, I was 21 years old. No, 20 years old. And it's. Maybe I was looking at it through a different lens. Like I said before, I was more into the teens and their drama. Now I'm more like, I like the teens, but I'm more into what's going on with the adults. And why is Dr. Abbott, why is Harold at Andy's office? Even his mother's like, um, I'm not going to let you in there. You could be the Unabomber for all I know. And he's like, not today. Okay, here's what I get. This is what I think, because it's been, like it, I said, it's been so long since I watched it. Here's what I think. I think that Harold is going to tell Andy, I want your son to stay away from my daughter. She was so upset, and, and just all of a sudden, here your son comes out and says, Amy needs you. Like, what did he say to her? I think that he is still on the, I don't like this Ephraim kid. I don't trust him. I don't want him around my daughter. Or he could be like, I like how your son helped my daughter out when she needed it or something to that effect. Let's find out. I have a reason. You could be the Unabomber for all I know. <laughs> Not today, mother. Now you call me if there's a problem, all right? Okay, doctor. Hello, Marge. Hello. Dr. Abbott. Can I see you for a moment? Sure. In private? done with the place examining table paper some tongue depressors sky's a limit i find it's more convenient to store extra swabs under the table did you really come into my office for the first time since i've been here to tell me where you store your swabs first day you came here you thought you recognized me yeah you said it was from the mental ward <laughs> that was a good one <clears throat> you did recognize me i was finishing up at the va when you got there oh there's no reason you should remember me you were harder to miss. 
even that we all knew we were in the presence of something greater than ourselves. It's like being on the junior high basketball team with Michael Jordan. The chief would describe each new feat of yours with unmitigated jealousy, almost hatred. Gee, I always thought Doug liked me. <laughs> he hated you. You brought him face to face with his worst fear that he would never be extraordinary. He met you. He abandoned his dreams of greatness. <laughs> he wasn't alone. So you were going to be a surgeon. Yes, I was almost a surgeon. Unfortunately, I I discovered I didn't have my hands for it. So after my residency, I just came back here, joined my father's practice in this miserable little town. I became a family doctor. No small thing in times like these. But you. You are a man with a gift much larger than yourself. Larger even than your own hopelessly bloated ego, if that's possible. Thank you. Sharon and James Hart don't know who you are. I do. I do. They don't know what you can do for their son. They're terrified of making a mistake. I know, and you know, somewhere within the world's thickest Dura, you owe it to this kid to perform whatever miracle you've got up your sleeve. You owe it to Colin and to his parents and to my poor heartbroken daughter and to the universe or whoever decided that you would be Leonardo and I would be less remarkable. Hell, you owe it to me. we actually learn that when Harold and Andy actually met, Andy said that he recognized Harold. It actually, it turns out that Harold was finishing up at the VA hospital, the VA hospital when Andy was coming in. And by that point in time, Andy had already gotten a world renowned reputation for being the world's best surgeon and even I guess the chief and staff who was overseeing the VA hospital just kind of eventually set down his tools at one point and just said I, I can't not with it's just almost like Andy's reputation and how Harold puts this, he says, it's like being on a basketball team with Michael Jordan. It's like, this guy's so great, then why do we even bother to attempt to try to be even close to what he is? Because we're always going to be outshadowed, out, outshadowed by Andy Brown. I mean, even the, the chief and staff who would, uh, I guess his name is Douglas, that even worked with Andy, eventually just set his tools aside and, and retired. It's like, I'm never going to be even close to that good. Someone who's so much younger than me. And Harold even mentions how he thought about becoming a surgeon, but of course he puts his hands out like, I just, I didn't have the hands for it. And maybe to be a surgeon, you do have to have the hands for that kind of work. And I honestly, Harold blew me away with, what he said in that clip. I was not expecting him to go that route. And as I've said 
many times already this episode, it's been a long time since I've rewatched season one. And even like I said, I was more interested in the teens than I was in the adults. But this time around, I am really hitting hard for the adults and their what they're going through just because maybe because I'm older. And he tells Andy, he's like, the hearts don't know what you can do. They don't know you like I know you. And he even says, you owe it to the hearts. You owe it to this boy. You owe it to my heartbroken daughter to save this boy's life. And you see, when he mentions Amy, Harold actually gets emotional there. His voice kind of cracks at the mention of how hurt and heartbroken his daughter was. Just the fact, the state of shock she was in, just the idea that that was it for Colin. There was no saving him. He's not coming back from this coma. Maybe this is the talk that Andy needed. He needed to hear these words that you are such a great surgeon that it would be, and I can't even honestly, I'm thinking in my head the words I want to say, but I can't put them out into the air like I want to form them. Oh, like saying like it would be a crime against nature with this gift that you have not to at least make this attempt to save this boy's life. That's, that's how I wanted to work. Okay. Um, and I think Andy needed to hear it from Harold. He didn't need to hear it from his son because his son is just acting from a point of his love for Amy. And Andy needed to hear this from another doctor's perspective. And just the fact that Harold believes Andy can do this. Because Andy is just that good at being a surgeon. And he kind of even just leaves Andy there, you know, at a loss for words. So now we're going to get back to Ephraim, who's probably still working on composing that song that he wrote for Amy. And I'm hoping that Amy is maybe... uh kind of back down to earth, like she's not so hyper, like the way she was just boom, 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 like her mouth was a hundred miles an hour. And I agree with Ethan. It's like, you're talking faster than my brain can even compute what's coming out of your mouth here. Yesterday when I told you that I was okay, I wasn't, I'm not, I'm not okay. <laughs> I remember in fourth grade, Miss Kitzlinger's class and Mrs. Barber's class went on a field trip to the brewery. <laughs> oh, the brewery for kids? That's gross. And on the way back home. 
He walked back three miles <coughs> and stayed at the brewery till nightfall, trying to find me. Couldn't leave me behind. What were you playing before? You said nobody brought you flowers, but come on. Would have been your first solo, so I wanted to make sure someone remembered. I wrote you a song. Can you play it for me? No, it's not finished yet. Please. comes up to Ephraim, who's playing the piano. Hey, Wendy! And she tells him that she has a free period uh, at this time, because he's like, shouldn't you be in class? And she sits down next to him at the piano, and she tells him about, London, if you start chewing on those blinds, I'm going to beat your butt. Yeah. So, she tells him about a time in fourth grade when, uh, her teacher and another teacher's classes went on a field trip to the brewery. Ten-year-olds, ten-year-old fourth graders go into the brewery. Wow. That is some trip. <laughs> so, and it turns out Colin was also on the trip, and Amy ended up getting on the wrong bus. So Colin walked three miles back to the brewery and stayed till nightfall looking for Amy. And he just couldn't stand the idea that she'd be left behind. That's just, just the type of person that Colin was. So Amy asked Ephraim what he was playing before, and he says, you said that nobody brought you flowers before but Colin, and it was your first solo, so I wanted to make sure someone remembered. So he wrote a song for her, and she's like, can you play it? And he's like, it's not finished. And she's like, I don't care. <laughs> just play the song. Like, she needs this, dude. Just play the song for and he does and of course we get dr gretchen trot uh pack, uh closing up shop with her rv getting ready to head out of course andy comes there and he's looking for someone to talk to and apparently what ephraim said about effort of uh andy being scared and that's why he doesn't want to operate on colin kind of got to him and he even tells Dr. Gretchen that the hearts didn't believe in his ability that he could help their son. And I guess maybe even Andy kind of didn't believe his own ability, whether he'd be able to. And he was thinking of the outcome, just saying, like, this patient is the boyfriend of a girl that my son goes to school with. And he just was thinking about the outcome, like, the, basically the what if scenario and as a doctor I get you don't think about the outcome because you gotta worry about the task at hand and if you're just focusing on the outcome then of course you're gonna be thinking of all the what ifs so he tells her he just lied to her and that um, it was him and she's like you were scared and he says yeah my said said 
my son said something like that to me. I honestly, I think that did get to Andy. That maybe Ephraim's words rang true. And made him face something that he didn't want to acknowledge about himself. And Andy even says, you know, it was easier before when I didn't know anything about my patients, when I didn't care. It's like, yeah, if you know, like, he doesn't really, he doesn't know Colin, but he knows of him. And if you think about it, his son is infatuated with the girlfriend of the patient. So if something happens, it's almost like he feels like, not only am I letting this boy's parents down, I'm letting down his girlfriend, and in turn, I'm letting down my son. I think that a little bit of him is just hanging on for any bit of crumb that Ephraim can give him, and he just doesn't want to seem, like, he's really, and she even said that you told me that you moved here to be a doctor, but also to be a father to your son, and maybe that is what's scaring Andy. It's like, if I do this and it goes wrong and I lose him, I could be losing my son and the small amount of a relationship that I'm trying to build with him. But, and I think that he is going to decide to operate on Colin. about your touchstone. You come to depend on it, no matter whether you set out to or not. But not even your own personal rock of Gibraltar is permanent. Rock has her own needs to think of. And just because you want someone to stick around doesn't mean she will. Dr. Brown knew something about that. You got time for one more hopeless case, Doc? I had a medical consultation last week. Parents wouldn't consent. They wouldn't put their faith in me. Why do you think that is? They didn't believe that I could heal their son. Did you? What? Did you believe you could heal him? Well, I was advocating the procedure. I believed it to be the proper course of action for the best chance of a positive outcome. Not the surgery, the surgeon. You. I wasn't thinking about me or my abilities. I was thinking about these people. Someone's parents. Someone's son. This kid is the boyfriend, a girl that my kid goes to school with. I was thinking that if something goes wrong, if, if we can't bring him out, I was thinking about the outcome. You never <laughs> think about the outcome. I just lied to you. The truth is, in the end, it was me. I told him I wouldn't do it. You were scared. My son said something like that to me. And? It was easier before. I didn't know so much about my patients. And I didn't care. I used to be able to fix things. You told me that you moved here to be a father and a doctor. 
Now you are. Yeah. <clears throat> I just didn't know it would be so hard. Welcome to the human race, Dr. Brown. So, first of all, guys, I really want to apologize. Uh, coughing through this whole episode, I'm sure that's going to be annoying for a lot of you. And I just want to know, I, I wish I could do something. But I'm trying. I really got to cut down on the pop. And I think that may be something that ir is irritating um, my vocal cords, the, the acid and stuff from... Wendy, you better not be chewing on those blinds. My crazy rabbit. <laughs> um, yeah, so I apologize about all the coughing, and it just, uh, it's just so frustrating. But I'm working on it. I think a lot of it does have to do, uh, I know I'm getting a little personal here, but um, with the weight gain and stuff, and I actually am trying to go back to how it helped me before with keeping a food journal keeping track of my weight, keeping track of my calories, and on nice days, I'm trying to get out there and go walking, so at least I can start losing the weight and hope that, and cutting down on pop and hoping that that does help with the cough, because it's just, it's constant, and honestly, this has been going, I've seen doctors, I've seen specialists, and it's been going on now non-stop for over three years and that I know that is a very long time to have to deal with something like this but all right so let me see who stole my heart this episode mmm what I want to I want to think like what moment I I really liked the end with Delia and Magilla saying goodbye to each other um I liked Harold trying to convince Andy to go through with the operation and he's going to bat for, you know, his daughter and for the hearts and everything, just trying to get Andy to realize, like, it would be a crime for you not to do the surgery, to do what you've been medically trained and awarded just you're a world-renowned surgeon like you you it would be a crime not to help the this person in this family um Ephraim with writing a song for Amy um oh my goodness I think I'm just gonna have one and then maybe a runner up um I want to go with Delia and Magilla just because it is Magilla's last episode. I just, that moment where she gives him the hat and they say goodbye and just her saying she doesn't want to make any more friends because it hurts to say goodbye. She doesn't want to say goodbye to anyone anymore. Um, broke my heart. Um, hmm. I think, I mean, honestly, just the scene where Harold is just pleading with Andy to work on Colin, just for Amy, and just, you hear this, that, that break, that crack in Harold's voice, just for his heartbroken daughter, it just, oh. um, needs a heart, oh, boy, um, on one hand, you know, McGill is 
mother is just thinking of her son. But just pulling him out of school and just saying, I don't want your daughter playing with my kid anymore and not really giving a reason. I mean, she really doesn't need to give one to Andy. But just Delia just feels so confused and hurt like she's the one that's causing the problem and she feels like there's something wrong with her so it's like yeah I mean not only you're kind of hurting your son and you're kind of reacting rashly you are also hurting Delia in the process so definitely Mrs. McGilla what if that's the last name I don't know because we know that McGilla's first name is Stuart so I'm gonna go with that Alright, so the episode for June, we are actually going to see Colin, not so much just in a coma, but we get to see, we get Colin's backstory, and we get the history between him and Amy and, and Bright. Season 1, episode 7, entitled, We Hold These Truths, which aired on October 28, 2002. As Dr. Brown operates on Amy's comatose boyfriend, Colin, with the help of his friend and surgery partner from New York... Dr. Brian Holderman, Amy leans on Ephraim for support as she awaits the outcome. Meanwhile, an emotional Bright breaks down and admits what actually happened the day of the car accident. So, of course, I always, and I didn't do this and I wanted to do it, I always like to read the booklet versus the IMDb description of the episode. So, for episode six here, uh, The Doctor is In, which is the episode I just got done doing, covering, a traveling psychologist is eagerly embraced by Everwood and reluctantly sought by Andy as he comes to terms with a decision about Colin. Delia's friend Magilla has a stunning personal secret, which we all know what it is. Here are the uh, episode titles here, or episode titles, um, the chapter titles. The Shrinkmobile credits. Theory about Colin, denial factor, neither he nor she, surgeon's fear, and of course, end credits. So, all right, I really, like I said, I said it throughout the episode, I am loving going through this show again, and I love looking at it with a, with a critical, not just a critical eye, but just an eye opener for me into these characters and just kind of flip-flopping where, like I said before, when I watched this, when it premiered when I was 20, I was more into the teens and what was going on with them. Now I've kind of flip-flopped and I'm like, I'm interested in the adults and their backstories and, and just uh, their personal growth and journeys. Same as with the kids. So yeah, I hope you guys enjoyed this episode and I look forward to covering we hold these truths and we learn more. We learn about Colin. We get to see um, the actor, Mike Irwin, who plays Colin. So, yeah. Um, actually, now that I think about it, <laughs> Mike Irwin. I saw that Hulk. There's like so many Hulk movies. But the one in 2003. I saw that movie just because there's a small scene with Mike Irwin in it. Um, there's also an episode in season one of One Tree Hill where he plays um, a, a college guy who plants a date rape drug in Peyton Sawyer's drink at a college party. He also plays a ba uh, bad guy, um, a CD carrier, <laughs> in She's... Is it called? She's Too Young. Yes, She's Too Young from 2004. Yes, that movie. Woo hoo hoo! Wow. 
that is a movie that is just because he's like all a big stud like big man on campus who's like screwing all the girls and even the girls that are like 14 15 and he's like 17 Ugh, it's just and the movie's it's terrible just that's laughably bad it's what i'm trying to say but all right i will be back in june with we hold these truths everyone have a good rest of may have a good memorial day depending on what you're doing if you're having a cookout at your own house we might try to do that just you know just us jeremy and i would um we might pop pull the grill out one last time before we uh make that move hopefully late summer early fall and hopefully we have good weather for it love to make the only things we ever make are like steak on the grill or the bacon and mozzarella cheese stuffed burgers and we only seem to use the grill on the major holidays like memorial day fourth of july labor day stuff like that i think it might have been a time in october of last year we actually used the grill one last time so because it was a particularly nice day and it wasn't raining out so all right everybody bye bye